0: Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on lifestyle design for millennials. I'm Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen, your host. Today I have a special guest for you. His name is Peter Kagayama. Peter is the author of For the Love of Cities, The Love Affair Between People and Their Places, and also the follow-up, Love Where You Live, Creating Emotionally Engaging Places. Peter is a senior fellow with the Alliance for Innovation, a national network of city leaders and a special advisor to America in Bloom. He speaks all over the world about bottom-up community development, and the amazing people who are making change happen. Hi Peter, thanks so much for being here.
1: My pleasure.
0: So I wanna ask you about your first book, For the Love of Cities. What made you wanna write that?
1: I had been working uh, with some of the um, other sort of luminaries uh, in the field of community and economic development for a number of years. Charles Landry, Richard Florida. I was traveling around and I was uh, doing work with them. I was working with some cities, I was producing conferences. I was seeing a lot of amazing things uh, as I was out there. And my friend, and he's become a bit of my mentor, uh, Charles Landry, who wrote several amazing books, but he's most famous for one called The Creative City. About 10 years ago, he asked me, what do you want to say about all of this? He's asking me to sort of find my own voice uh, in all of this. And I said, that's Mm -hmm. an interesting question. And as I was sort of uh, thinking about that, I realized that a recurring theme in my travels was I'd meet amazing people who were doing fantastic things for their cities, Not because they were paid to, but because they had this love for their places. And I realized Mm -hmm. nobody was really talking about them and the role that they played, and the incredibly important role that they play in making for really great places. I said, you know what? That's a story worth telling, and that's what I ended up writing about.
0: So it has so much to do with the people and how they feel about the city. I mean, can you elaborate on the relationship between people and their places, like what sparks love between the two?
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, we have these highly examined personal and professional relationships. We spend lots of time thinking about those, grinding on those, right? But most people never stop and thought about the relationship that they actually have with their place. And the thing is, is we are actually in a relationship with our cities, with our towns, our villages, whatever. Um, But it's an unexamined relationship. And you know that an unexamined relationship, it can go bad, it can go stale. So what I try to do is get people to, A, recognize that they're in this relationship and realize that it is really a two-way conversation between them and their city. You know, Most people think that it's all about what does the city do for them? What does the city, you know, the city provides me with a job, with security, with entertainment. But okay, the question, we flip that around because it is a relationship, well, what can you do for your city? And most people don't have a clue on how to answer that. Exactly. Yeah, because they never really thought about it. So I try to get people to, first of all, recognize the relationship and then start thinking about what they might actually be able to do. And When they start doing that, that opens up a whole realm of possibilities of how they might get engaged and actually do something really amazing for their
0: places. Can you give some examples of what people have done for their cities, like after the fact? What are some things we can do? Yeah, you know, most people
1: think that city building is big stuff. Roads, bridges, schools, things like that. So they sit back and they wait for somebody else to do that because they say, hey, I don't have the money, I don't have the expertise, I can't do that stuff. But the thing is, is that city building is also little stuff. Community gardens, a dog park, um, you know, a a backyard festival that involves you, me, and our crazy neighbor that we do for no other reason than it amuses us, right? And the thing is, is those things have value. And most people don't realize that that those things are actually kind of important. Um, So when I talk to folks, I get them to, hey, recognize these crazy, weird little things that maybe it's just a little passion project. Hey, you know what? That could be really interesting, and it could be valuable. And who knows where that kind of stuff leads. You know, I talk to a lot of artists and creative folks, maybe somebody who's doing a little bit of uh, maybe a, a mural or maybe even some, you know, guerrilla, um, you know, murals um, and uh, you know, sort of artistic expressions like that. Um, the, the community gardens thing is a really popular one. because again, it gets people out. It gets them connected. It's their hands in the dirt, you know. Um, rolling up your sleeves and getting a little dirty is kind of a key thing Making for, you know, uh, citizen engagement. Again, instead of just sort of sitting on the couch and waiting for somebody else to make the city better for you.
0: Exactly. I mean, I was just talking to my friend yesterday about this. We were asking, like, why don't we plant, like, fruit trees or vegetables in our parks, like a community garden space where we can just go there and... I don't know, share the fruits and vegetables there because our parks are just like green grass and it actually takes up a lot of water and it doesn't really produce anything. Well, part of
1: the answer to that is twofold. One is most people think, well, I don't have permission to do that, which, you know, you're right. You don't. But you know what? It doesn't necessarily (laughs) stop people. You know, there's a concept called uh, flower bombing, seed bombing. Oh. Where people, you know, they get wildflowers and seeds, and they might get them from a store, and then they throw those seeds into public places like, you know, media, oh. um and and maybe some public parks, and see what grows, you know, from something. I see, like that. and that could be really interesting.
0: I mean, is that technically not allowed? Like, <laughs> if you were to do it the right way, do you have to like contact the city? I think it's it's those barriers that stop people from doing this sometimes.
1: Yes, technically it is not allowed. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. tell folks to go out and uh break the law, <laughs> but I am going to say, you know what, there's some value to breaking the rules.
0: Exactly. You know, um, yeah.
1: The rules are there for a reason. They want you to be safe, and, you know, and I, and I get that. But, you know, a little seed bombing, a little, you know, flower bombing probably never hurt anybody.
0: Yeah, that's really nice to hear.
1: <laughs> yeah, permission's overrated. But.
0: Let's say somebody who's listening to this does want to make um, a change, like, yeah. How does one go about that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure most of your listeners, these are folks, I love how you talk about, you know, the art of life, you know, mm-hmm. want people to create something in their own lives. And that's wonderful. Yes. And I think that when they start uh, going beyond the, the immediacy of, of themselves and their, maybe their home environment, their work environment, and they start expanding a little bit, they start looking around it's like, okay, what can I do for my community, my city? All of us have some ideas, like we'd love to, yeah. oh, well, let's do this, let's do that. But the problem and the challenge is that most of us start way too big. You know, we have this idea. It's like, oh, we should do this. And it's going to cost millions of dollars. And it's going to take years to actually pull off. And the thing is, is even if you had the time and the money, man, you are going to run headlong into so many rules and regulations and the utter bureaucracy uh, that is required to get stuff done, especially big stuff. So my recommendation to folks, anybody who's getting, you know, the itch to maybe do something fun and creative for their city is start really, really small. Uh, mm. Really, you know, I say aim low uh, in that okay. sense to do something small that isn't going to take a whole lot of money, time, and maybe doesn't even require permission. You just go out and do it. Get some experience and say, hey, that was cool.
0: What else could yeah. we
1: Kind of go from there.
0: I love that. There's there's like some curiosity there and it's it's not overwhelming, you know, find something that's so easy that you can do it yourself with like no money, right? Exactly.
1: You know, something that you can bang out in a, in a weekend you know, with a few dollars and a little bit of creativity and make it fun. City making can be fun. In fact, I think for most of our listeners here, it should be fun. The cities are going to take care of the hard stuff, you know, the, you know, the big importance, you know, the more serious stuff. I totally get that. But if you and me and we're going to try to make our community a little bit better, chances are we're not going to start with, you know, trying to fix our school system, which would be great, But you know, (laughs) have that, you know, that expertise or that kind of money. How do we fix our neighborhood? How do we fix our backyard? How do we fix our street corner? Yeah. Out there? How do we make it beautiful, interesting, a place where people actually want to gather? That's a good project. And that could be done for almost nothing. But it does yeah. require a little bit of
0: thinking. I mean, could you give some of like the coolest examples you've seen so far? Like little ways people have changed their space or done something?
1: Well, there's a group out of uh, Portland that started this thing called City Repair. And what they did is they would work with neighborhoods and they would actually come in and and in sort of guerrilla style, they would paint intersections and they paint them these wild, bright, fun colors uh, there. And most of the time they were doing it because the neighborhood had complained, says, hey, you know what, there's cars going way too fast here. And we got kids playing uh, there and and city repair uh, would come in and they would paint these intersections. They didn't get permission Mm. to do it, but they'd make them really colorful and and beautiful. And what happens is because the, the street doesn't look like a normal street, Cars instinctively slow down. Oh. And when cars slow down, people feel more at ease. They feel more likely to come out. They feel much more comfortable letting their kids play out front uh, of their house. Uh, there. I mean, when I, when I was a kid, I actually played, you know, uh, baseball in the street. You know, now you know, apparently <laughs> they're yeah. you know, up on charges or something like that. But, exactly. And what was interesting about that is that this project started several years ago, and the city saw how positively people responded to it. They've actually adopted this as part of their approach to community and and neighborhood development. So it's now become sort of a sanctioned thing. It starts out as an illegal thing and then becomes sort of embraced by the city.
0: I see. So
1: you never know where these little guerrilla intrusions might actually lead.
0: That's really encouraging to hear, so it's kind of like you don't need to ask for permission as long as you're not hurting anyone, it's creating something positive. Absolutely. Then, yeah, you know, the city might welcome you and embrace that.
1: You know, an interesting sort of example around this, and I wrote about this extensively in in my first book, is Detroit. Ten years ago, Detroit was sort of on the verge, everyone says, this city is gonna, it's it's gonna die, it's dead. But I went to Detroit for the first time in 2007 and I met this amazing cadre of people were still absolutely in love with that city. And they were doing really amazing things there. And it really showed me, says, you know what? Um, Detroit's not going to fail as long as there are people like these who are still in love with this city. Mm. And what was interesting, because Detroit was going through so much other stuff, where they were struggling just to keep the lights on, it gave room for these creative people. I call them co-creators, essentially co-creating the experience of the city. These co-creators had the opportunity to go out and do some wildly fun and creative stuff you know, all throughout, you know, Detroit, because there was kind of a lack of supervision there. And it really made Detroit into this sort of fantastic urban laboratory. And that sort of ethos is now continuing there. Detroit's doing much, much better. But there's still this sort of maverick entrepreneur creative energy uh, about Detroit. I think that's a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So I know you're all about creating like A space you love in your community, but I'm wondering does this translate into our personal spaces? Like, whether it's like, our home, our bedroom, living room, workspace. Like, how can we create spaces that we love? Yeah,
1: I talk with, you know, designers all the time, landscape architects, engineers, you know, uh, city planners. I've even talked a little bit with sort of, you know, the folks who would do sort of interior design, folks who think about, you know, the interior spaces. So a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Steelcase, which is the uh, big office um, furniture manufacturer there in Western Michigan. And Steelcase is brilliant in the way they think about space because they're actually trying to create not only comfortable spaces, but they're trying to create uh, a sense of place and a sense of purpose in their places. Mm-hmm. They want people to interact with each other. They want those collisions where ideas and people come together, and who knows what kind of interesting stuff can sort of happen. It's that so-called water cooler moment, but with a plan. Now, we take that into our own spaces. Now, I don't necessarily think we want to necessarily be working you know, in that same sort of mentality, but we want to create a space at home, I would think, that allows us our minds to sort of expand and wander and to go different places. And you know, those moments of reflection and relaxation and then those moments of intensity uh, as, as well. And I think if we're being intentional about creating emotional moments you know, in our places, we gotta be thinking about this stuff and not just worry about, hey, you know, uh, does, the, does the picture match the carpet? Well, yeah, hopefully it does. But you know, start thinking about, well, why did you pick this color? What kind of mood are we actually trying to create here? What kind of energy are we trying to create here? In doing that, we might be a little bit more purposeful. And as you say, we might be a little bit more artful in how we're creating our lives.
0: It's really interesting how you can consciously like – put so much effort and so much choice into every single detail of your life, whether it's your your actual life or the space around you and also now in our communities and our neighborhoods and stuff. So, yeah, so much more can go into it if we're more creative, if we put more thought into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I bet lots of people put a, a lot of thought into, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, phone case they actually put. What does my phone <laughs> yeah. case say about me? That's like, okay. Yes. Uh, well, let's expand that a little bit. What does your living room, what does the what does the entranceway to your, your dwelling say about you to not only yourself, but to people who may be going to come and visit you? Probably don't think about that, but, you know, we do think a lot about our phone cases.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we know how to think about the small things, like what am I wearing? You know, people love fashion and that's the way they express themselves. But I think, yeah, it's, you've opened my mind a little more. I didn't realize, like, I could actually do something in my neighborhood or town or city because... It's just so big.
1: It is. And that's the challenge. Most people think, you know, that's like they're trying to fix their city. No, fix your neighborhood, fix your backyard, you know, something that, that is closer to you. I say that, you know, I have this idea that I'm building upon for my next book about $500 problems. You know, there's lots and lots of $500 problems. And the thing about a $500 problem is it's probably closer to us than, let's say, a $5 million problem. A $5 million problem is big and it's out there and we feel that. But a $500 problem is immediate. And it's like, okay, if, how do we approach these little problems? And by making those better, we start making our lives better. And I think we start making our neighborhoods a, a little bit better. So we sort of expand out from there. We'll get to the $5 million you know problem, but let's start with something that maybe is a little bit more manageable that we could maybe do this weekend as opposed to this yeah. year.
0: It's time for a break dedicated to all my creatives out there. Do you ever need to find sound effects, stock images, or stock videos for your creative projects? Well, you can get studio quality stock for a fraction of the cost with Videoblocks. Videoblocks is a subscription stock media service that allows people to download all the stock media they need for one low cost of $149 a year. Download all the stock video your heart desires from their member library, including HD footage, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and more. All content is royalty free so you can use it for commercial and personal projects. And new clips are added regularly so there's always something fresh to download. Go to videoblocks.com/lifestyle to get all the stock footage you can imagine for $149 a year. That's videoblocks v i d e o b l o c k s.com/lifestyle to save on millions of studio quality clips from Videoblocks. The link will also be in the show notes below. All right, back to the podcast. I'm curious, what's your favorite city or town in the entire world and uh, why?
1: Well, uh, I do write about love of cities, but here's the thing about city love. Uh, it's not monogamous. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to love one city. And in fact, I would hope that most of uh, our, our listeners actually love more than one place because that means you travel, traveled, that means you've connected to uh, another place. Of course, I love my hometown. I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a beautiful city. I think it's maybe the best city in Florida. And I can tell, I go on and on about why I love it. But, you know, I travel around a lot. I see lots of amazing places. You know, push to give a a couple other answers. I would say a few others. I love college towns like uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. It's absolutely amazing. Berkeley, California, very interesting. I was just in Muncie, Indiana uh, earlier this year, and I had a great time there. I met some amazing people. They're doing some really cool stuff there. You know, I, I love lots of places because I meet amazing people who show me really cool stuff. And they make me see their place through their eyes. And when I see a place through the eyes of somebody who loves it, I can't help but love it a little bit myself.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. Can you go into like why you love them? What are some specific things about those places that maybe we can try to translate into our own local places?
1: Well, I'm writing about Fort Collins for my next book. And I'll tell you this, Fort Collins has done a brilliant job of, they call it the, the three B's, beer bikes, and bands. Ah. Now, there's lots of cities that have done beer, bikes, and bands, but I think maybe Fort Collins is very near the top of that. Beer in the sense that um, New Belgian Brewery is there, as a number of other craft breweries Mm -hmm. are there. And I say this as somebody who, actually, I don't even really like beer, but I like beer culture. I like the artisanal side of it, the creative side of it, the craft side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you go into a craft pub now, it's not just about the beer. It's about the experience of that. It's food. It's lots of other stuff. Uh, There, So Fort Collins has done an amazing job of cultivating that. Bands, they actually pay attention to the local music scene. They're actually nurturing it. There's a music district and they've actually created space where there's not only places to rehearse, there's places to record, there's places to perform. So bands in that sense. And then bikes, like most cities in Colorado, they're all about the bike. Uh, they are an encouraging sort of bikes as an alternative mode of transportation and maybe even a preferred mode for lots of people. You know, so those kinds of things, I think, are one of those, that combination makes uh, Fort Collins really quite uh, wonderful. You know, and I mentioned like Muncie, Indiana, just some really good Midwestern folks. I mean, I'm originally from Ohio. I appreciate the sort of Midwestern sensibility. But they showed me some really cool projects and a really simple one that I absolutely fell in love with. They called it the Year of Color. And one of the local neighborhood sort of development groups, they had this idea. They said, look, we don't have a whole lot of money to maybe fix up the entire neighborhood. But they went out and they bought a bunch of paint. And they selected like a patina of colors, like a sort of a color scheme, like half a dozen different colors that all sort of worked together. They bought a bunch of that paint. And then they said, Hey, neighborhood, what do you want to paint? We'll provide the supplies, and they encouraged people to sort of get out and paint stuff. And they painted parks, they painted benches, they painted playgrounds, they painted some of their own houses, parts of that. Uh, into this really sort of warm, vibrant color, and it worked. You know, not only because it looked better, it felt better, but because they did it themselves.
0: Yeah, when it's a community effort, I'm sure you can feel it. Like, it, it looks fun. Every time it goes somewhere where there's, like, art on the wall or there, there's, like, different colors, it just feels better. <laughs> it does.
1: Color matters. Yeah. You know, there is incredible power in a coat of paint, and that's something that I think is oftentimes overlooked. Say, hey, look, you know, it's like, this is such a big thing. We can't even fix this. It. like, okay, but could you make it look a little bit better? Well, yeah, I guess we could. Well, let's start there and you never know you know once people start feeling a little bit better about that, maybe there's more will to actually dig a little deeper and work a little harder to maybe fix it the bigger problem that underlies that
0: right. I think once people taste a little bit of what it's like to be part of the community, then they'll be more likely to get involved. I think so much of the time we feel so distant from whoever's planning the city that you don't even know how to get involved, but yeah. This is really encouraging to hear. Yeah.
1: Well, again, start small, figure out something yes. you want to do. Uh, and you know what? Here's the thing is there's lots of this stuff already happening in all of our neighborhoods. The thing is, is you're right. We don't, we're not paying attention to it. If you put your radar up and say, Hey, what's happening? You know, really hyper local. Mm-hmm. You spend a little bit of time just online. Paying. Oh, I had no idea that was even happening. Oh, they're looking for volunteers. Hey, this looks fun. Let's go to this. Doesn't take, they- a whole lot to get reconnected with your neighborhood. It just takes a little bit of research and then it's like, instead of going to the movies, let's go to this art gallery. Let's go to this art yeah. walk. Let's do uh, this community festival. Let's do this.
0: Let's reconnect. I love that. So Peter, what's next for you? What are you currently working on?
1: Yeah, I'm working on, I guess it's the third book. Uh, as a kid, I loved The Lord of the Rings. Ooh. I still love The Lord of the
0: Rings. <laughs> so
1: there's the So trilogy. you wanted
0: a trilogy, okay. I, I
1: guess I want a trilogy. I'm in research mode uh, around that right now. I'm talking to a lot of people. Uh, I'm interviewing some folks. There's some new concepts that have happened and just sort of come to my uh, attention here in the last uh, couple of years since the last book came out. And uh, yeah, so I want to finish uh, maybe the the thought uh, there with more examples and talking a little bit about some of the you know these new ideas that have been sort of exposed to me. Like like an interesting one. I'll mention this one. Have you ever heard the term biophilia? No. No. Most people hadn't. I had never heard this. But what it is? It's actually a scientific concept. Uh, that says that we are actually, as human beings, we're actually hardwired to want to connect with other organisms, with other life forms. Uh, and yeah. this best in our need to actually interact with nature. Yes. Now, most of us live in cities. You know, we think, well, nature is sort of where I go. I got to go outside the city to do that. Well, no. You know, when you are walking through the, your urban forest, and, you know, every tree is part of the urban forest, mm-hmm. well, this is important stuff that this is hardwired into us to have this sort of bio-interaction with our cities, which is why you're seeing cities pay more attention to sort of the urban landscape uh, thing and sort of the, the urban forestry uh, side uh, of their places, because they're recognizing that this has a really fundamental impact on the way people feel about their places. Yeah. And I find that very exciting because green is beautiful and it's practical and it serves lots of other purposes besides just looking good. But apparently it also makes us feel better. And when we feel better about our places, we're gonna act better. We're gonna you know, be our better selves. We're probably gonna be more productive. And I think that's just a really good sort of you know, uh, impact all around. And it starts with like, hmm, maybe more trees, maybe more totally. flowers.
0: I completely agree with that. More trees, more flowers and plants like enhances a place and makes you feel so much better. Yeah, we definitely need more of those in cities.
1: And there's all kinds of studies that show that those kinds of things actually increase safety, land and property values. There's all kinds of good financial and and practical, but there's all kinds of other reasons as well.
0: Yep, totally. So, Peter, lastly, where can our listeners find you online?
1: You can find me at uh, com and facebook.com slash fortheloveofcities. There's all kinds of links to some of the other social media that I'm on uh, there. And my books are available on amazon.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Everyone out there, make sure you check out For the Love of Cities. I'll post all the links to everything we mentioned in the show notes and on the blog post. Yeah, thanks so much, Peter. My pleasure. All right, bye. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like the podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. It helps me so much and also helps other people find the show. You can also catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. All right, love you all. Bye.